podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Well, you know how I was dead relaxed and chilled for the Leicester City game? A little bit of a stark difference to this one. There's a lot of controversial little talking points. Liverpool, of course, end the year in stylish fashion. Another three points, 1-0 against Wolverhampton. Like I said, lots of talking points. Whilst I'm here, I have to give a special shout out and a thank you to Manchester City for softening up another opponent for Liverpool in, in Wolverhampton. Those conspiracy theories are definitely true. Guys, welcome to the show and joining me on this podcast. I am, you know, joined by some incredible guests and I also have an awesome caller. And I'm sure um, we'll have some uh, subscriber questions kind of being thrown in as well into the mix. So first things first, let me introduce my guests to you. You know, they kind of know each other, um, but they're going to have to talk about football today. Um, I've given you a little teaser there, a little hint. First up, I am delighted to be joined by host of the Champions League podcast, co-host of Red's Review. He also does the wrestling pod as well, AI writer, and, you know, many a times you've heard him on this podcast. It is Andy Wales. Andy, welcome to the show. Hi there, Nina. Uh, in, in fairness, I haven't been on the wrestling pod for quite a while now. Um, th- th- those guys are doing a tremendous job <laughs> without me. Um, so many other things going on, you see. Just so many other things going on. I've even found time to write an article on uh, Curtis Jones today. So there's a little teaser for you. Oh, excellent, excellent. Um, uh, well, there you go. The Reds are keeping you busy. And, you know, there are many, many positive results to talk about. And, okay, then, I'm going to talk to your direct replacement on the wrestling pod, then. I'm going to a little teaser away. You've also heard him on Rate.Hate podcast. He does the transfer podcast. He's going to be a busy guy this time, um, uh, round about this, you know, He's going to be a busy guy, you know, around about this year with the transfer window opening. I am delighted to be joined by Tadiva Tanikara. Tadiva, welcome back. Hey, Nin, how are you doing? I'm good. I just couldn't get my words out there. You could <laughs> tell it's been a long scrambled kind of, you know, the Christmas fixtures, they just come around so quick. I had I hadn't podcasted in a while and we, we did the transfer podcast this morning and my voice was so scratchy. I just wasn't used to talking that much anymore. Uh, you know what? It's time to kind of brush up those vocal cords and get back on it. Guys, um, we do have a caller, but first things first, I just want to get your kind of reactions after that game because, you know, to me, that felt more like a title contender battle than Leicester City. So I just want to get your thoughts, how you felt about, you know, getting those results, that those three points. I was just like, thank, thank God we leave. Even though we've got a massive point gap, I'm just at that stage now where I just don't want to lose a game. Andy, I'll come to you first. How do you feel after that? Uh, just a sense of relief that we got the job mm. done more than anything. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't in any way a vintage performance, but it would be unfair for, for us to castigate anybody for that. Just, just purely, that you know, we only played a few days ago. Uh, and you've got to give enormous credit for Wolves for the way that they pushed us all the way, considering they played less than 48 hours ago. So I think given the circumstances and, and some of the things that we will talk about, it's just for me, it's just a sense of relief that we've got the job done. 
and and yeah, we end the year and we end the deck on the decade on on such a positive. Absolutely, I could not agree more. What about yourself, Tadiva? Just the the overriding feeling of like closing off two thousand and nineteen from a football perspective, and it that just game. Shows, it just shows, I think, how far we've come. Um, if you look at the start of the decade, I think Hodgson is in charge. Where the club was off the field and on the field was was quite scary. Um, the game summed up the evolution as well. You can see, obviously, both teams are tired. Um, and I think the first thing that goes when you're tired is usually the mental side, your concentration, your thinking, you know, making the right decisions in the final third. We saw a bit of that in our final third where we didn't quite have it, you know, at peak levels, which is understandable considering the fixture load, as you said. But then also... Um, I think it's good that we did show the, the the control, which is something that people have been, you know, waiting for for, for so many seasons where, fine, if, if there's not an open pass up the field, we'll play it back to the back line, um, keep it there. I think that took a lot of minutes off the, you know, off the clock at a time when Wolves were starting to get back into the game. We slowed it out really, really well and played it at our tempo. So it's a game I think we expected considering how quick the turnaround was but just glad to get it over the line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the 10-year challenge for Liverpool is um, uh, certainly one that you can look at and think, fucking hell, you've had a decade. You know what, Hosway, we have, you know, Hosway's joining us. Um, uh, he is somebody that I can call a friend. I met him. I spent some time with him and his, um, his wonderful girlfriend. So, you know what, without further ado, let me bring him in. I want to hear what he has to say. Um, first of all, Hosway, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Yeah, I definitely did. Likewise, guys, it's uh, it's been a nice holiday, especially with the results. Absolutely. Well, the floor is yours. Ask whatever question you want. Any takeaways from the game? Please talk to us. Right. Just uh, for, first of all, I echo your set, everyone's sentiment, saying like we grinded this out. It's a huge relief uh, that well, you know, Wolves give us gave us a heck of a contest. Like. Good for them. We're both, as you guys say, we're both tired, and uh, it definitely showed. Um, my first question, though, is um, regarding our lineup. Like, we lined up our midfield three versus their five. How did you guys feel initially ab- about this? I got a little worried because I thought they're gonna they're going to kind of crowd the they're going to crowd the mid, and I, I was just really nervous to see how we do against that. Tadeva, I'm going to come to you because for me, for, for the longest time, the first half, it was quite interesting to see how like we kind of lined up in the midfield because it to me, it looked like it was like something that we spoke about on a pod that we were a bit worried about was like the double pivot. Yeah, and, and I think maybe more and more over the December period, it seems to creep into Klopp's teams or the closest mm. we, the closer we get to December, maybe it's to do with squad rotation, you know, squad management, getting enough um, players rest and stuff like that. I think also the fact that we've got so many injuries in our midfield, and I'm not just talking injuries from, you know, like Fabinho, who is clearly injured and is out. You've got guys like Genie that are playing injured at the moment that it's not really spoken about and it's not really, you know, widespread um, out there. But guys like that, because we have so many concerns in that position, you don't maybe want to play three purely because, you know, then you're risking all three of them being, you know, their minutes going up and really, you're just risking the, the, the injury proneness maybe, or, or I'm, I'm sure the, the fatigue guys and the AI guys um, can, can 
explain that a lot better. But basically, at least if you only have two of them, odds are only two of them can go down. Whereas if you have three and you're you're adding minutes into their legs, then you you're at more risk. Um, whereas if you look at our front front line and our front pl- players, and I include Lalana in those front players, mm. um, the only one that's really been injured is Shakiri. I don't think we can count Brewster in that, considering he doesn't really play for the first team. I think maybe Carabao Cup, maybe he would have played, but I think it's clear to see that he he's not necessarily involved in the Premier League side of things. So we've got more bodies of able bodies players, should we say, in that front line, so we can put more of those players on the pitch and, and cover that way. Um, I think in terms of whenever Lalana plays, if you watch, there's always a plan when Lalana plays. And in this game, it looked like the plan was Lalana was playing in that pocket of space in between Vinagra and Moutinho. And they, I don't know what was happening with them, but they could not figure out how to, how to mark him or who was meant to be marking him. Because obviously they have to pay attention to Alexander-Arnold and then they also have to pay attention to Salah who's in and around that area. So I think from a midfield perspective, we we were smart in our planning in that it allowed to free up space. But um, it's always, I suppose, maybe a scary thing when Lalana starts just because of the, the, the history that he has or recent history that he has. Um, but I thought he played he played quite well today. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I thought, you know, Lalana, you know, I think he's one of those players that people kind of look at and think, oh, no, don't want him. And even Gags on the Leicester game when he was kind of like dancing in and out, Andy was kind of saying, you know what, it's at that stage now where we have to be really intelligent, manage the midfielders' minutes. Because, of course, against Leicester, we did see Jordan Henderson go off at the end as well. We were a bit worried about what happened with him. But luckily, he did play. So, you know, you kind of talked to me about the midfield as well. I mean, Hosway has just asked a question about how do you think the midfield kind of did? And, um, you know, I'd, I'd be intrigued to hear your thoughts on this. I think a lot of it and the, the sort of tactical change-ups, I do have to agree with Tadeva. I think it is largely down to the fact that it's a kind of lack of a personnel at this moment in time. Yeah, I'm sure that, that was factored into it. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't 100% certain we'd see Henderson start after he went off, you know, a few days ago. Yeah. I, I thought Milner might have started the game today. Um, a little surprised that Lalana started and, and, you know, yeah, generally he is basically, when he's on the pitch, he's our weak link. Uh, you know, we, we have very few weak links left in the squad and he, he is one of them. But today, all credit, you know, all today he, he put in the performance. But I think what, what I... What I saw certainly was, you know, the difference between when we were in possession as to when we were out of possession. And he was kind of transitioning and we were transitioning between that 4-2-3-1 and the 4-3-3 that when we were out with the ball, sometimes it was a flat three and he was covering the right-hand side. Uh, But when we had the ball, he was very, very advanced centrally and we were moving to that double pivot. So, uh, again, I think like today we're picked up there, you know, it's just that... It's just that little tactical thing that Wolves had to think about. You know, they maybe weren't prepared for Lallana starting and they're certainly not prepared for him being so far advanced centrally, you know, just as to who's going to pick him up. And it almost neutralises one of those midfielders. Um, in terms of them playing like a five-man midfielder, you know, you look, they, they play with the back three and the wing-backs. So the wing-backs, yeah, you could count them as midfielders, but if you're going to count them as midfielders, you might as well count Robertson and um, and, and Trent as midfielders as well. It, it was more about what was going on in the middle. And um, I, th- I think all in all, fatigue really played a part in that. Perhaps if we'd been out, outnumbered in the centre of the park with 
you know, say a week between the games, it might have had it might have been a bit more significant. But I, I, both teams look quite leggy, so that maybe that kind of you know took away from where we perhaps would have been punished a little bit more in terms of controlling the game from there. But I think the the real difference in terms of how we ran it from the centre of the park really changed when Naby came on, and we we really sort of got a lot more control from the centre and and really started to snuff them out. And and Wolves, the the real danger there was not about them um, building up and creating; it was more about hitting us on the break and when there was opportunities to do it that way. So it was it was an intriguing battle, but I I do feel that. Um, you know the the whole thing of you know this the fixture pile up the fixture schedule really influenced like today were mentioned probably influenced selections uh, influenced the tactics but also for me influenced the pattern of the game today because there were two essentially quite tired teams out there. Yeah, very tired. And you know what? I thought Wolves had a more more cause to be far more tired, given the fact that they had a you know a day less of a kind of you know break as well because they played a day after us, and of course you know. Coming back from, you know, 2-0 down against Man City, you know, probably a little easier because, you know, City were 10 men down. But I do have to agree with you. There was a, you know, there was an, a massive element of fatigue in that game. Certainly in the second half, you could see Liverpool just looked so, so tired as that game kind of progressed. Hosway, I'm going to come back to you. You've heard what the lads have said about the midfield. I want to get your, your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um... I think just at the start of the game, I thought we were going to be outnumbered in the center of the pitch, but it didn't fully turn out that way. So, uh, yeah, and I definitely agree with the, the team selection, with the rotation and the, 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 the personnel we have available to us. You know, I, I thought Lenai did, did all right. You know I mean? I, I don't think I have much criticism about Lenai considering he assisted in the goal as well. And, uh, and yeah, but if I can just ask another question, I forget who the player was that was playing against Trent. Uh, did you guys feel that that player that Wolves player had his number he went around him a couple of times and my second question is is there room for Adama Traore on Liverpool when when are we going to buy him oh Padiva I'm going to come to you I mean what did you make of uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's uh, kind of performance today just in general and the player up against him I think um Hakeem said it's net it was Neto yeah, there was, well, Neto and Yotto were rotating um, as the front two players. And then Vinagra was the sort of left wing back. So maybe uh, between the three of them were, were occupying him. Um, I think, look, first and foremost, coming off the high of, of the Leicester game, where he gave, you know, performance of the season type caliber performance, it can only go downhill from there. So I think also the expectations were so high for him coming into this game, you know, um, that it was bound to not be as good as that one, dare I say, considering, as, as we're saying, the, the, the amount of games that they're playing and all of that. But I think also um, from a defensive standpoint, I think he Trent does enough in, in that he might not necessarily be, you know, as people hype the one Bissaka one-on-one type defending, but he's learning to position himself well He's learning to make sure that he's in position to make clearances. I mean, if you look at the game itself, he had the most clearances and it wasn't even close. I think he had six clearances. Um, the second best was Van Dijk, who had three clearances. So, yes, he might not necessarily be doing the tackling or, you know, the traditional side of, of a right-back thing, but he, he he's finding ways to to still be effective as a defender from that side. And I suppose maybe... 
it's a spoiler for later on, but I, there is an article that I'm looking to write on him. I just need to get the time for it about the fact that he's reinventing the right back position. So traditionally we would find that right back, you know, they, they square you one-on-one, they shape um, and they're willing to take the ball off you or run with the defend um, with the winger. Whereas he not necessarily, he knows that's not his strong suit. So he's going to find other ways as, as showing by the clearance numbers where he might not necessarily come in sliding, tackling in, but he's going to come around you and just kick the ball away. Or And when he's kicking the ball away, he's not just hoofing it away. He's hooking, he's looking to, to bring a counter attack into it as well. And then in terms of um, Adama Traore, look, he's definitely a dangerous player. Um, I think many clubs would, would, wouldn't mind having him on the bench coming off, you know, last few minutes when you need someone with pace coming on. I think the thing for him is, and I think maybe the thing with Liverpool as well is, we can't necessarily sign every player. You know, like, I don't know if every player suits the Liverpool style. If, if, we, if we're saying he's coming in to have an impact in a Liverpool system under Klopp, I don't necessarily think he fits that style and profile. And obviously he's going to need games where he's coming in and coming in from the start. And we haven't seen really a pacey out-and-out winger um, in a Klopp team, or at least, you know, be, be in a Klopp team for very, very long, for very long. So unless we're saying that Klopp's going to have a plan B option there, which we haven't really seen, um, I, I don't think he would be someone that Klopp would go for, but not to say that he's not a bad player or he wouldn't be useful, uh, in a team that, that does need that outlet. Yeah, um, uh, I, I like the fact that you kind of explained it from the, the Liverpool perspective with regards to um, Traore as well. You go and study it from maybe Andy. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on Trent Alexander-Arnold as well. I actually thought for, for most parts there was more creativity from his side than Robertson's. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on that. But, you know, and also your, your thoughts on Traore as well that, you know, Hossway just asked because, you know, we've heard Tadeva there speak about Liverpool perspective on, on the situation of things. And also, players will also kind of look at it and think, how much game time am I realistically going to get as well? Yeah, just on Trent, I mean, look, <clears throat> there's no denying that this lad's very, very special. Uh, and I and I think he's he has the potential to become a generational player. He, he really is that special. Uh, wasn't, obviously, wasn't quite the same level of performance today as against Leicester, because against Leicester that was... Um, just, just a tremendous individual performance. Um, just unreal, really unreal performance. Uh, and today, obviously, not quite the same. But then again, you know, this is just three days later. High intensity game, different type of opponent. They really did test him. Yeah, he did get caught a few times, just knocking the ball around him and whatnot. But as Steve pointed out, he also played his part at times in the defence. You know, and he's done some, val- you know, he made some valuable contributions on that side of it. And I do think you're right, Nina. Yeah, a lot more seemed to come down that side than on the left. I think Robertson looked quite weary uh, during that second half. You know, he put a lot of miles in there. But um, I, again, you know, it's that thing for Trent that he doesn't always get the same cover on that side of the pitch. You know, at least Robertson's got Ginny on his side of the pitch. Trent, mm. you know, unfortunately doesn't have that luxury. So, you know, perhaps that's sometimes where he gets caught out a little bit too much. So, but still a good performance from him today. But you know, it's very difficult to live up to that last that last one against Leicester. Um, on the Dharma Traore, 
I, I I've got to agree with um, with Tadewa. For me, yeah, he's a you know obviously he's very strong, he's incredibly quick, he's a he's a dangerous individual player, but I don't see how he really sort of fits into a club team. I don't see how he fits into this Liverpool team, essentially on his decision making. And, and his awareness and, you know, can he really switch on? Can he be focused and, and offer all that defensive work that we get from our players in terms of, you know, that, that concentration level that you have to have, you know, positionally all the time, you know, the spring in the press, when you press, when, where, who, how, everything, you know, and then covering back, back and forth, back and forth. I, I think I think Wolves use him and utilise him in a very very intelligent way you know he's an individual player and they use they they make the most of his individual traits and they don't rely on him too much in terms of their system so um i I don't think he would suit us necessarily but yeah there's no denying he's you know how dangerous he can be and how good he can be at times and it seems like he's you know his end product is improving he's the kind of player who you would expect to turn up at manchester united for you know, I don't know, 80, 90 million pounds just because they've seen him and they know he can do dangerous things, but they're not necessarily sure how they're going to actually get the best out of him. Yeah. And also as well with um, with the kind of team that he's at as well with Wolves. I mean, like, let's be honest, like, you know, they could potentially be a few signings away from being a top four side. Oh, they absolutely could. I mean... <clears throat> they they seem to have much more of a structure, much more of a plan, and an idea of how they're going to go forward as a club. That then, like Manchester United and and Arsenal do at the moment, uh, they also have a much more tactically aware manager who who is really good. Uh, I mean, the the way that he's took them on is uh, is you know massive credit to them and him and and I, and I think you're right. You know, a few signings and Wolves could easily find themselves in in the top four. You know, we could be looking at at Leicester and Wolves being third and fourth in the Premier League come the end of the season. It's, um, you know, it's quite something. It's as much credit to them as it is um, a wake-up call to some of the other clubs, you know, part of the traditional big six that, you know, you can't just spend money and expect it to keep going as it does. You know, you've got to have the right structure. You've got to know what you're doing and where you're going. And and we are the prime example of, of get, get your ducks in order, get everything lined up mm. and make sure you know what you're doing and get the right coach in place, and, and it'll all start to come together. So, um, yeah, thank God we have the, the people in charge of our club, but, uh, you know, from top to bottom that we do. Absolutely, could not agree more. And, uh, you know, like what Tadeva said at the beginning of the pod, you know, we had Hodgson in the hot seat, you know, and the FSG just literally come in, brand new ideas, you know, but much work to do. And, my God, you know, it's almost like... Um, 10 years uh, kind of turnaround kind of project. Hosley, I'm going to bring you back. You've heard what the lads have said about Trent Alexander-Arnold and, um, of course, Traore. I want to get your thoughts on what they've said and where you stand on Traore. Do, do you think, like, you know, he he could, you know, um, be sort of um, a potential player for Jurgen Klopp, I suppose? Oh, yeah, no. In terms of Trent, I just I just brought it up because I... I... I know he had a decent game, but like I just thought that he was beat a couple of times. Uh, that classic, like put the ball around and, and run past him a couple of times. But I, I just wanted to kind of point that out and kind of see how overall they uh, they both felt how he how he played. But yeah, definitely I agree. And in terms of Trier, I just felt like he's one of those nice toys to have kind of thing, you know, where it's just like we don't need you. <laughs> 
Sorry? I thought you just spoiled. Sorry, I mean, I can't hear you. Oh, nothing much. All I said was, Emma, you're just spoiled, Hosway. You are yeah, all yeah, the no. nice toys. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes, exactly. And I thought, you know, it's nice to have. I, I, I really enjoy a direct player. Someone who every once in a while, well, Shire does it all the time, puts his head down and runs at you like that. I think they're so dangerous. I, and I really, really enjoy it. And I feel like sometimes um, that talent has, has gone. You know what I mean? But uh, no, I definitely agree. We don't need him. But hey. Uh, every once in a while, just like, ah, you know what you did to the city? It was really nice. You know, do you a favor. Come over here. You know what I mean? So, um, but apart from I'll that, see. no, I definitely agree. Um, if I could just jump in. I think yes. the, the, I think the, the reason with the, the why we're thinking maybe he doesn't fit the club system is if you look, for example, Mane is probably our most direct player in that sense. Yes. And even he doesn't do it as often as I think people would want him to. Like, there are times in games when Mane will beat a defender with ease. And then you're thinking, give him the ball. Let him do that more and more and more. And he somehow, does, for some reason, he doesn't do it. So I think maybe that might be something instilled in the Klopp system. Um, we saw Jordan Ibe was favoured by Klopp when he, when, you know, when he first came. And then he just sort of fell out of favour. Maybe he couldn't get that side of, out, of, out of his game. So I think maybe there's something in the Klopp system to that being that direct player because, um, yeah, I definitely agree. Those players, especially with Mane, it frustrates me so much. I'm like, you can easily beat this defender. I mean, he's got like Zabalet or someone marking him. He can just kick the ball around him and run, and somehow he doesn't do it. Yeah, no, I, and that's it. I, I definitely agree. There's so many times that Mane gets the ball. I'm just like, run at them, run at them, and, and he doesn't. But, yeah, so it's definitely a system thing. And the last thing I want to say about Trier is that when he's off, and I said this on Twitter, when he's off, he looks like Jesus Navas, on the right wing. Which way is he going to go? He's going to go on the wing and he's going to take it down the line, down the line all the time. So when he's off, he's really off. So uh, yeah, anyway, that's just my thought on him. Well, Hosway, thank you so much for calling. Awesome. Thank, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. No, absolutely appreciate having you on. And I hope you and yours have a wonderful new year and all the best. Likewise. Thanks, guys. Take care. Okay, so, you know, um, uh, there's been some chit-chatting in our live Discord chat and um, Hefty Horse Simon um, says Traore would offer something different that we don't have, but I feel Wolves would ask way too much money for him. Um, Hakeem um, uh, is kind of coming back in and he's saying um, um, variation is key and Traore lacks that. Yeah, we've, that's actually a very, very good point because I think one thing's for certain is Klopp likes to have a, a kind of utility players that can play in various different positions, roles, setups. I, I have to agree with you, which is why, you know, um, maybe a player like Minamino makes so much more sense for like a Jurgen Klopp. So guys, um, uh, so if, if anyone wants to call in, please give me a shout and I will get you in. Let's kind of, I'm back with Andy now and I'm back with Tadeva. Thank you, Hosway, for calling in. Let's talk about the game. Let's, so Andy, I'm going to come to you first because you know, like, what I kind of noticed was, and we'll just kind of randomly just talk about the first half, was um, Liverpool kind of set up as, um, uh, in, to me, it looked like a 4-2-3-1. And Salah kind of had, like, the, the role of, like, the, 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 the nine, if you will. And, you know, he was basically the, the front of, you know, the head of the spear kind of thing. And Liverpool were, t- you know, like, there was a lot of crosses coming in, certainly from the right-hand side. 
I want to get your thoughts on Mo Salah because I've, I've seen a lot of talk about him on social media that he didn't look his best. But I thought in the first half, he was, he looked most lively from the front three, I'd say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I thought he was quite lively. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, he's getting himself to positions. He was trying to trying to make things happen. You know, got getting on the end of a few things. Um, you know, perhaps should have scored. Um, but you know, it, it, it's this thing as well, isn't it? Like you said, you know, we keep going back to this, and it's not an excuse, but you know, it, it is. It's just a factor. It's a fact of life. You know, these. You know, for all they are. You know, elite athletes, they are human beings. You know, this is the, the second yes. high-intensity game in just the space of a few days. And I was surprised that all of the front three started again. Uh, I'll be honest, I expected Origi to have started. And, and had he not been ill, perhaps even Shakiri as well, just to, to rest up and have some fresh legs to, you know, give us an option from the bench to change it up if we needed to as well. But, no, I, I thought Salah played all right. Not You know, I, I don't I don't think there was... Any sort of you know, really sort of in, great individual performances out there. Mm. I, I know we'll get to the man of the matching later on, but it wasn't like I, I don't know. I just it, it wasn't like there was anyone that had like a particular stinker as such. I, I think it was just very much a game of two teams that that clearly had played, you know, two three days beforehand, and and I think that was just apparent throughout the game. And and again, I said it at the start, and I'll say it again. You know, it, it's just. You've you've got to really give so many props to to for Wolves for the for the effort the amount that they put into that game considering the effort that that was required from them the other night to come back from two goals down even though they were playing against ten men it's Man City who keep the ball so well and are so dangerous that you know to to get them to get back you know and have to score that late you know the winner so late on they put so much physical and mental energy into that performance you know to come and give what they give against us today you know it's that's a hell of an effort from them it really really is and and I do think I know it's kind of going off course a little bit but but I I do think it's it's just really affected what we've seen out there today from from players all over the pitch you know for both teams I don't think anyone was you know was was quite at their their full game certainly for us uh, but yeah, we we were we were lively. I think the early sort of maybe fifteen twenty minutes of the game, I thought we pressed quite well and got about them. As all we you know we thought, let's try and get this one done early if we can, and then we can, you know, then 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 maybe get a little bit um, a bit of control over the game and, and conserve our energy a little bit. But um, yeah, I think once once the game settled down. It was just you knew it was just going to be one of them grind grind it out performances that we've seen so often this season. Yeah, we have definitely been like the team that kind of grinds it out. Um, Tadeva, going to come to you. I mean, what were your kind of takeaways from from the first game? Because I actually thought you know we we played well, and I thought you know. Wolves did everything in their power to kind of go you know toe to toe with us throughout the whole game. But then obviously when you look at the XG, there's like a you know, they, they had a lot of the ball, but the, the quality of shots weren't great. But something that I kind of noticed was I thought, you know, as, as the game kind of progressed, um, you know, like I felt like maybe sometimes the final quality of the ball wasn't great and the decision-making weren't great. You know, so many times I kind of saw like 
misplaced passes or somebody not anticipating someone's run. And I think that was probably maybe a little bit down to how Wolves set up tactically in defence. Well, I think in the first few minutes, and, and maybe this is just going in line with how we now looking to control games, is it, it seems like we break games up into either it's thirds or quarters or, or however, the, depending on how the game is going. But I thought early on, we, there was quite a lot of movement. Um, we even saw times where Lalana was playing as the false nine and allowing Firmino to drop back. But there was a lot of movement. We had a few half chances, you know, some good ones, some difficult, understandably. And I, I have a feeling if we went and scored one of those, we probably would have put the accelerator on to try and get a second one quickly, which has become custom. As soon as we score a yes. goal, we quickly try and get that second. And then we would have probably coasted. But I think what what then happened was we we pushed to get that first goal. We didn't get it. And then we realized, okay, fine. Um, let's now control the game. Um, it's it's sort of like a like those uh, like a South American dance, you know, those quick, quick, slow, quick, quick, slow, like slow, slow, quick, 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 slow. Like you can see, the team is now learning how to increase the tempo and reduce the tempo. Yes, and I think that's crucial, not just for the games themselves in terms of being able to control them, but I think the longevity of the team. We know how you know, bad club teams get in January or Liverpool's club team gets in January. So it'll be interesting to see if all this, you know, the the controlling of games, if we've got more energy now come this January um, period, January, February period. But I think, so what happened was because we didn't get that goal early on, we slowed the game down again. You can see by the amount of touches the centre-backs had and, and Trent had, I think that they were all the top three in terms of, touches of the ball so you can see the team clearly um yeah Trent had 114 touches Joe Gomez 106 Van Dijk 102 and then Henderson 95 and then sort of tails off uh going forward but you can see so clearly what what the plan then becomes if we don't get that early goal is we play with the center backs in terms of shifting the, their defensive shape from left to right left to right constantly and remember that also tires the teams and then we do the long balls at times, and then we come short to get the ball. And then, so we're just constantly trying to move them around, move them around. If an opportunity comes for a direct pass, we hit that pass, but we're not forcing it. And then we've got the quality to then go and create the chance and maybe score a goal or something else um, um, happens. If it doesn't, if we don't score, we recycle it back again with the center backs and we continue to do that. Um, and then maybe, you know, at later points in the game, then we put the pressure on again. If we get the goal, good, we go for the second. If we don't, reset again. So I think that's maybe dictating the play more than necessarily in previous club teams or previous seasons where it was just go, 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 go um, the whole time. Yeah, and you know what? It's something that Gags has kind of noticed with the pressing as well. When Jurgen Klopp first came to Liverpool, Liverpool just press, 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 and then they'd all just be flat out dead and tired. And now they kind of, you know, they, they kind of press in a really, really intelligent manner where, you know, it's kind of not sustainable to do a full, full 90 minutes without breaking and injuring your players. So I like, I like the fact that you kind of brought up the fact that we're actually now really smart in terms of how we attack or how we kind of apply pressure. Let's kind of talk about the, the, the talking points of this game. And guess what? We're talking about VAR once again. Andy, I'm going to come to you because 
it looked like Liverpool weren't going to do an awful lot. And then this lofting ball comes in from Virgil van Dijk. It hits um, Adam Lallana on the shoulder. Kind of ricochets, falls nicely to the into um, Sadio Mane's path. And as soon as it goes in, you see, you know, I, you know, the ref blows his whistle. You see Adam Lallana wagging his finger, saying, "No, no, no, hit me on the shoulder." So I didn't even celebrate that goal because I thought this is going to get chalked off. But it hit his shoulder. It should have stood, and it did stand. And you know, it got turned over. So talk to me about that one. Correct decision and. Just your thoughts on how um, uh, VAR was implemented in that scenario. So, I'll, first of all, I'll get my unvarables plug in. <laughs> unvarables. Unvarables. There you go, people. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was the correct decision. I mean, I celebrated it at the time. We, the three of us here, me and my two sons, we we all jumped up and celebrated the goal. And then I just spotted straight away the way Lalana had turned and was wagging his finger. It was like. Oh no, they've disallowed it. But I said, "But wait, it'll go to VAR." And then, then you had handball, and you're looking at the replays, and it's well, that's clearly come off his shoulder, so that's not handball. And then they're looking again, and you're thinking, "Well, are they looking for an offside?" Because clearly, Mane has not come from an offside position. He's way well behind uh, the the Wolves' defence, so there's there's no fear of an offside. And then they were talking about the you know the timing of the referee's whistle, whistle which thankfully. Thankfully, um, his whistle had, hadn't blown until after the ball had hit the back of the net. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure we'll get onto it at some point. But um, referee Anthony Taylor really frustrated me throughout this contest. And I'm sure he frustrated both teams uh, with the amount of niggly fouls that he allowed. and But then would blow up for something innocuous throughout the game. Um, it You know, the, there was points where it was getting feisty because of the way he was managing the game. So he gave an, he gave the handball. And I suppose you could kind of understand maybe from his angle why he maybe thought it was. But um, you think nowadays with the, with the technology available that they just kind of let it go and then, then go to the VAR and let them check it out. But yeah, it's um, it, it just, I guess it just adds to the fume for rival fans. And, and you could see that the, the Wolves players were were, were pretty um, pretty annoyed by it all, but yeah, I thought it was the correct decision. It definitely wasn't a handball. The only thing that they were then going on about saying that um, the ball from Virgil when he initially played it, that he you know he controlled it with his arm. And uh, looking at the replays, I can't see that at all. I don't think it's brushed his hand. So um, a word for everyone in that goal. You know, I thought it was a tremendous angled uh, long pass from Virgil, beautifully laid off by Adam Lalana with using his shoulder and a nice little finish from Sadio Mane. So um, a lovely goal all in all. It was a lovely goal. And what about you, Tadiva? I want to get your thoughts on just that whole situation and how it sort of played out for you. And, you know, um, I, I think we all agree it's a correct decision, not just saying it because of Liverpool fan, because when we talk about the other one, of course, we, you know, there's going to be some conflicting thoughts on that one. But what, what did you, I mean, your, your takeaways from that, yeah, I think the first and foremost, the Virgil handball, not handball situation. I think the issue is people tend to take still shots and then, you know, focus on still shots instead of watching the actual clip of what happened. So in a, I've seen still shots where you can, you know, you can make an argument that he's, you know, handled the ball. But if you look at the the, the, the replay itself, he actually sort of chests it 
and it rolls up as he chests it. So it looks, you know, on a still shot, you can see, you can stop it at a point where it looks like it's a direct handball. But for me, that wasn't a handball. So I'm fine with that. But I think also the biggest problem that came in with the goal itself, besides Anthony Taylor being quite whistle, you know, he was quick to the whistle there. Um, I, th- I think we saw Aston Villa's goal early in the season that got disallowed because the ref blew the whistle way too quickly. Um, is just the, the fact that VAR isn't mic'd up and I, I will continue to, you know, jump on my soapbox in terms of miking up VAR when, when it comes to the Premier League. And I, I, I sent out a tweet at time. I said, uh, this is why VAR decisions should be mic'd up. Many people won't know this. Many people won't know this is how the progression checks went for the um, LFC goal. So first what happened is they checked if it was shoulder um, and not a handball. That was fine. Then they checked whether the ref had blown the whistle before the ball went into the net. If he had, then it wouldn't have been a goal because they can't change the ref's decision in terms of stopping play. They checked that. That was fine. Then they checked whether or not Mane was offside. He was offside. That was fine. Goal gets allowed. So there was nothing wrong with how VAR executed you know, all of its checks to make sure that the goal stood. But because there's no one to tell anyone this, it just looks like a farce. And because of the whole narrative that's already created around VAR, you know, people completely, they just write off any, any VAR decision that changes a decision gets written off as bad either way, regardless of whether or not it's the correct, you know, use of the system. And then interestingly enough, the one league that I've seen that actually uses mic'd up referees, I don't know if you guys have seen it, is the A-League in Australia of all leagues. Um, they have a mic'd up ref both for, um, you know, during play. So you can actually hear, you know, you know, when players are asking for red cards and asking, you know, cussing at the referee and stuff, you can actually hear that. So you can see when ref is talking to players, what he's saying to players, how he's addressing them. And then more importantly, for the VAR decisions, everything is mic'd up from the ref to the VAR officials in wherever they are situated. The ref asks when he's on the screen. Um, they tell him, okay, you're on the screen now. Once only he's on the screen at the stadium and obviously on the TVs, then they start the explanation of you know what's happened. Okay, do I need to go check it? He then goes to the screen. You can hear the entire conversation of how they write to their decision, and then he goes back onto the pitch and makes the decision. If that was in the Premier League, it would clear a lot more because then it would differentiate between is it the referee that's incompetent or is it the vast system that's incompetent? Whereas in this situation, I think the refs can just hide behind um, VAR and obviously the narrative created around VAR because no one has a clue what is going on. Oh, yeah, and... and um, uh, Kim Kim has brought up a good point. Is that Hakim's brought up a good point in that their refs are also interviewed post match as well um, in that league, so they get to explain why they came to certain decisions. It's just more clarity, mm. and I think that's what people are kind of screaming out for because at the moment we're at this kind of civil war with um, VAR as to is it the technology. Is it the officials? Who's overruling who? Are they listening? Are they siding with the referees? Is it a kind of um, conspiracy theory to kind of bin it off altogether because the people that are actually in the VAR sort of control rooms are actually referees, fellow referees, and they kind of got each other's back, which is something that you and I spoke about quite a lot to Diva on this podcast. So you know what? Let's go to the second one. My God, it has been a controversial weekend for, you know, armpits. Who knew 
armpits would be so relevant in football, but here we are talking about them. In this case, it was more like a wrist. Um, uh, of course, um, you know, um, uh, Wolves, they're, they're, they're a team that, you know, um, you can't sleep on them. You know, they, they, they will get winners, they will get goals, they'll get equalizers. They have so much quality in that team. Neto scores, of course, and, you know, they're celebrating and, um, it was way, way into injury time for Liverpool and, and then it kind of gets pulled back. Yep. His, his arm is offside or his wrist or whatever it was. Talk to me about that one because, you know, as a, as a person who maybe might be neutral and you put that level head on, it's an absolutely ridiculous, stupid call by the AR. But then when I see what happened to Bobby Firmino and I'm a Liverpool supporter, I couldn't give a shit. I'm all for it. I thought it was actually his foot that was offside. Was it his foot? Because all the lines I'm seeing is his hand off. But whatever it was, it was just, it's just getting, it's almost becoming nitpicky. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But yeah, once again, just goes to the clarity issues. (laughs) <laughs> like I, I think they need to separate offside rulings for technology and then just normal play the clear and obvious one the offside one itself i think there shouldn't be the drawing of the lines because you know football usually you know there's always that you know rule of you give advantage to the attacking player type of situation so i if i was approaching it the way i would do it is okay if we're going to go to VAR for offsides. The guys at VAR have the technology to watch the replays, whether or not they have, you say they can watch the replay three times, two times, one time, whatever, but they're not allowed to draw lines. And they watch the replay three times, they all decide what's offside, and then that's how they make that decision. Because the drawing of the lines, it's, at the moment, I don't think, if I'm, if, if I'm not mistaken, there's not the technology at the moment to properly depict when the ball was kicked, w- whether or not he was offside. There's, there's, there's a margin of error in, in that moment. Um, so if there's a margin error there, there's no point in drawing the lines because it's going to be, you know, it, chances are it's going to be wrong in any case. So I think just have the replays, don't draw the lines, then you decide whether or not it was, it was onside or offside because it, it is getting quite ridiculous. But the fact that it's being thrown in as part of the VAR system, instead of separating those two systems in terms of the offside and then the other clear and obvious situations, is just all part of that narrative of trying to get rid of VAR, in my opinion, because the offside ones are just ridiculous. And, and those need to clearly be, be addressed. Yeah, they do. I've just actually had a look at the graphic again. I brought it up while she was speaking and it was his foot offside. Of course, he can't score with his wrist. Silly Nina. It has been a long week. It is his foot. And um, I think Lubo's just come in as well into our chat box and he's just basically said the foot was offside clearly. Um, clearly. So, Andy, I'm going to come to you because I did see you tweet about this. I want to get your thoughts on this because it is becoming a bit nitpicky. It kind of... You're at that stage now where you're kind of thinking, well, what is actually going on here? I thought the longer this decision took, it seemed more and more evident that it was going to go in Liverpool's favour. Yeah, I think I think that was that was becoming kind of clear that um, you know we, we were going to get away with that one. I mean, the goal itself that they scored, it, it was a bit shabby on the defending side of it. Everybody got caught with a weight on the wrong foot and. 
and it just was a bit of an yeah. ugly Bobby with the piss poor kind of clearance that took it yeah. out of Trent's reach and yeah, I think Gags is coming in saying that those lines are really shit as well you know so I think a lot of people are really annoyed at the graphics from VAR yeah I mean I'll get onto the VAR but I mean just in terms of how we gave that goal away because I think it is you know important that we don't just you know I'm sure Klopp won't and his and his staff won't just forget about that goal as though it never existed. And obviously, look at that. And in terms of our organisation and the way that we were getting out a couple of times at corners, you know, we're clearing the corners and they were they were coming back in. Normally, it was so dangerous breaking from corners, but you know, the ball was going out and then they were coming back in and kind of catching us out. So it it wasn't great in terms of that defensive side of it. And I'm sure that they'll work on that and they'll look at that and analyse it. But in terms on the VAR side of it. Um, I, I just thought it, it, it was it was a bit of a joke to be honest. You know, the the pixelation of the end of his boot. I mean, I don't know whether players can um, paint their boots the end of their boots so that they're, they're the same colour as grass or something like that, so they can maybe <laughs> get away with this. Um, I'm sure they'll they'll move on to some kind of uh, of, of way of trying to beat it. But paint it, them it, yellow get... so they they match the line for the onside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's um, it, it is getting a bit ridiculous. I think, to be honest, when them two lines mash together like they did, then really for me the suggestion is that they're level. Uh, and if you've got to allow, say, a margin of error of so many millimeters, you've got to just say, you know what, that's level. Um, as as um, today were mentioned as well, you know that the benefit of the doubt should go to the attacking side, and level is onside. And really speaking, that goal should have stood, in my opinion. I, I think we got away with one. Uh, I thought the the VAR decision for our goal was absolutely correct. I've said that, but I do feel that on on that one was disallowed for Wolves. I, I think we've got away with one that should have counted. But as you mentioned, Nina, you know when you look back at the the Bobby one that got disallowed against uh, Villa, I, I'm going to take it all day long, and I'll take anything we can get on the way to winning this title because that Bobby one was not just a bad decision; that <laughs> was bloody well corrupt. Um, at least this yeah. one was just, you know, it was one of these stupid pixelation things. Uh, and there's been two or three of them over the weekend as well. So, yeah, it, it's not it's not looking too great. I started off as a fan of VAR and glad that it was coming in. I'd seen it in the Bundesliga. They'd used it quite effectively. They've refined it, using it well. My concern was always that we would have Premier League referees in charge of this VAR. And unfortunately... You know, incompetent referees on the pitch are also incompetent referees in charge of in charge mm-hmm. of the technology. Uh, and the guy who's in charge of the referees is what was one of the worst referees around in the league, Mike Riley. So, mm. yeah, it, it's it's not it's not going great. And and as today were mentioned so eloquently as well, you know that whole thing of the refs being mic'd up in Australia. I've seen that video. It's so much better when you when it's the transparency is there for fans and everyone can understand the process of what they're going through, and it just runs that bit smoother. Um, it's not being handled very well in the Premier League. It's a constant discussion, and it is a bit of a joy killer to the point where I'm almost like, you know what, let let's get rid of it. But then again, you know there are some things in there where, you know, there are horrendous mistakes being made that are being rectified. Certainly, absolutely. Like you know, our goals today. So um, it, it's a tough one, isn't it? You can't, you know, you win some, you lose some. And we've got but the benefit of today. But, but if we didn't have VAR, like, you, you know, like like people saying, just scrap it all together. I had Liverpool fans sort of tweet me this, you know, just scrap it all together. And I'm like, if it was if it was not a thing, like VAR wasn't a thing this season, we've lost that game 1-0. Yeah. 
because that goal would have stood because the ref didn't put yeah. his flag up. Um, the linesman didn't again, put his flag up. Yeah. Um, then again, though, for me, the evidence of us this season does make me feel that even if that goal had stood for Wolves and it had been 1-1, the mentality and the kind of things that, that we've shown throughout this season, I do firmly believe that we would have pushed on and found a second goal and we would still mm. have won the, won the game. I think that's just the team that the we that we are this year. Yeah, um I, I agree with you, but I'm just talking about just on, on a results yeah, basis. Yeah. Just just completely on a results basis. Yeah. If VAR was not there, we we've lost that game one 0 because Sadio Mane's goal wouldn't have stood because the ref ruled it off and you know, um and theirs was perfectly fine. I do agree with you though, it was absolutely stupid and ridiculous and it is totally, totally nitpicking. Guys, let's kind of talk about some kind of individual performances today and, you know, sort of things that kind of um, stuck out to me. Tadeev, I'm going to come to you. Um, we, we spoke a lot about the full, um, we spoke a lot about Trent and, and the fullbacks and I think there was a, definitely a lot more action coming from Trent's side. I thought towards the latter end of the second half, you spoke about lack of cover and, you know, I felt like in the second half, um, you know, that side was kind of being exploited a little bit to even to a point where I think at one point, was it, was it Jürgen, did, did the fullback sw- switch sides? I think that was just from corner kicks. Um, yeah. What happens is, um, I think one of them marks the near post, one of them marks the far yeah. post. Yeah, it didn't last long. It, yeah, it didn't last long. And yeah, um, but something that I kind of noticed as well, I kind of want to talk about Joe Gomez and just the, just the centre-back pairing. I mean, another clean sheet for the Reds. Incredible stuff. Um, you know, Virgil van Dijk, I mean, he's always Virgil van Dijk. He's great. Um he he had a little bit of a scary moment today. Uh, everyone was, um, you know, aghast. Um, uh, he's human. What do you know? But talk to me about that centre-back pairing because I thought Joe Gomez actually had a really good game today for most parts. Yeah, I think on form, that's probably our strongest centre-back pairing. Mm. Um, Matip would have a shot, you know, an, an argument for that as well. But I think from a stylistic point of view, you've got, both of them, in terms of Virgil and Gomez, have the pace. They've both got power, both very comfortable on the ball. Um, they can both bring the ball out of defense as well, which which gets used more and more in games, which is crucial when teams try and press. And Gomez just sort of sidesteps one of them and, and moves into almost midfield. It just creates so much space. Um, yeah, so I, I think he's growing into a really, really, really good player. And obviously playing next to Virgil van Dijk and training with van Dijk week in, week out, I can only assume that's going to make him a, one of the best, um, you know, if he continues this trajectory. I think in terms of from Klopp's standpoint, I think it's re- it was really important that, and Klopp does this really well, especially when he's got cover in those positions, is when players aren't playing well, and I think it's fair to say Gomez wasn't playing necessarily well when he came in, is Klopp takes them out the team. He takes them out the limelight. Um, he lets them, you know, continue with the training and everything. Be- especially these young players, you can't expect them to be consistent over an entire season. It's impossible. Like unless they're the the absolute elite, elite players. And I put that in a bracket of maybe four or five players in all of world football that that can do that at such a young age with that consistency. So he got taken out the the, the limelight which meant that any poor performance weren't going to be highlighted in the media and fan sites talking about him. And then it becomes more, more and more pressure on him. Just get rid of that situation completely. So that's really always nice to see. And then when he does come back in, 
maybe partly because of the injuries that we had um, and also rotation, he can then come back in and sort of start afresh and try and build up form again. And since he's been back, I, I think he's really, really played well. Um, he's had some performances where he's trying to match Van Dyke in terms of um, mm. elite centre-back play. And especially in this game, I thought that the times, you know, uh, Joe mentioned the times when uh, Trent got beaten every single time J- Gomez was there. Like, yeah. Sure, okay, once you do get past Trent, if you do get past him, Joe is there to clear it in any in any case. And I think having even, that, even when Virgil van Dijk had his little wobble in the second half, I mean, Gomez was positionally in the right place to cover exactly, him. Exactly. And then you had Alisson right behind him, so there's like a double like sort of pivot in terms of two quality players there that's got your back. And the thing is, if, if you look at, even for example, the long ball played, I think, by Connor Cody that went over and Trent, I think, tripped. Yes. Um, Gomez then comes in with a last-ditch talent. Yes. He does that so often. He's got that recovery pace. And he's starting to get, I think, that defensive nuance in terms of getting the positioning right as well, which is obviously a really, really uh, dangerous um, combination from a good from a good perspective. I think also the fact that, um, and I don't know if this is a factor, but I've, I've been, it's one of my theories, <laughs> so to speak, is the thing is, as, as you mentioned, first you have to get past, you know, initially it was Fabinho, um, then you have to get past um, Gomez or Van Dijk, and then you have to beat Allison in the goal. If you watch strikers at the moment, and, and a lot of the finishing that's happening in and around the Liverpool games is, a lot of their shots go off target. And I have a theory, um, speaking from a striker's perspective, when you know you've got that level, you know, quality that you have to go past in terms of the Fabinho, Gomez, or, you know, and the centre-backs, and then, and then beating a keeper that's so good with his positioning, when you're now shooting, you know you have to put it into the corner. You have to put it into the corner, otherwise the keeper's going to save it. And that margin of error when you're trying to put into the corner opposed to you're just cry, trying to put it into an area, you know, it, it, it means that they're going to miss a lot more than they're going to actually get on target because it's such a small little gap that they're leaving for you to finish. And then if you see what the amount of um, blocks that Gomez had in this game, you know the ball's going to get blocked. I think Van Dijk also had the key block as well. So if you know the ball's going to get blocked, you're no longer just shooting to try and get on target because it's going to get blocked or the keeper's going to save it. You have to aim for these really small angles and it's making it a lot more difficult for, for attacking players to, to score against us. It really is. And Andy, I'm going to come to you. You know, Talk to me about you know, just the partnership of Joe Gomez. It's so great that he's actually now you know, finding his... Um, uh, Form and fitness, you know, as, as, uh, Tadeva mentioned there about him, you know, not, you know, kind of struggling a little bit when he came back from his injury, but he seems to have really established himself quite nicely. I think, you know, he's had some monster performances. I thought he did so well, you know, against Leicester City. I thought he was absolutely incredible out in Qatar as well. It's just great seeing this kid do well again, almost like it's like a glimpse of like the earlier part of last season before he got injured. Yeah, this this is him back to back to the form before he got injured last year. Definitely, um, since he's come back into the team when uh, Lovren got injured, he he has he's been exceptional. He's he's been the better of our two centre backs in in the past few weeks. Mm. Uh, no 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 two ways about it. Just just as there's no denying that you know he started the season as first choice, 
and Klopp had to change it out because his, his form was poor. And, and when he was, you know, getting appearances here and there, you know, popping in and out of the team, on on the whole, it, he wasn't very good. You know, there's no, you, there's no denying it. He just wasn't playing very well. He, he stepped out and then, but when we've needed him, you know, we're down to two fit centre-halves. We've needed him to stand up and be counted and to show that form that he showed last season. He's done it, you know. Full credit to him. He's been he's been excellent the past few weeks, and and I, you know, spoiler alert. I, I thought he was our best player today. He it was a, you know another really good solid performance from him. Uh, and just as you mentioned, you know, it, it's that covering, you know, that awareness and that turn of speed as well. I think it's quite important for us at times. You know, we play that high line, and and having centre backs who have got that recovery speed and can cover, you know, full backs who are pretty quick as well. You know, it's. Um, it must be a bit of a nightmare. And speaking as a former striker, I mean, the only thing I would say is, you know, when you're coming up against a goalkeeper, I mean, obviously I, I never face a goalkeeper as good as Alisson, but when you're coming up against a really good goalkeeper who's a good shot stopper, it would be a case of when, you know, you get a shooting opportunity, you make sure you get good contact and you try and hit the ball really hard in order for them, you know, to hopefully not be able to get a hand on it. And and maybe that's something as well that plays into strikers that they 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 you know their instinct is to hit that ball a little bit harder than they normally would, and that's where you start to lose your accuracy and maybe that's why it's flying off target as well. So it's you know it's fantastic that we've got an imperious goalkeeper, we've got a couple of tremendous centre halves at the moment and, and excellent fullbacks. You know it's just it, it is fantastic and it's it's hard for I guess it's hard for Matip you know. Because he he was brilliant last year, and and I still must I still miss Matip. Yes, uh, I miss I miss those facial expressions. They 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 entertain me no end. Um, I, I just he grew on me so much as a character. Mm. I really really enjoyed him, and and I do miss him. I think there's other parts that you know that he adds to our game. Um, but but Gomez, it, it's so refreshing to see him back again. I think the the long term issue is though. It's the injuries that Matip keeps picking up. It's the injuries that Gomez already. This you know, is exactly what I. This is exactly yes. what I want to bring to you guys because we've got two very very good centre backs in those two, and Lovren, when he's coming to be fair, has you know done okay, nothing too ropey, yeah, nothing yeah, too he's scary. Done okay, this season. But but what we have to all acknowledge and understand is we have a. A solid one in Virgil van Dijk, and God, heaven forbid, anything something happens to him, you know, like the defence will pretty much go to tatters, given the fact that all these guys were always injured. So my, my question to you two is, and it's not a slight on the players, it's more a concern for the injuries. Do you think we need an, another centre-back? I would say yes, but it, not in January. It, I don't think there's any mm. chance that we're going to sign another one in January. I think it will be addressed in the summer because we've got three centre-backs. One of them is not so reliable when he plays. He has, in fairness, he's had some solid games, but he still had some iffy moments throughout yes. those games. And and he is very, very injury-prone. You know, he can't go more than seven or eight games consecutively without being injured. And you cannot, this is a thing, you know, you've got to be able to rely on the players, not just when they're on the pitch, but actually them being on the pitch if that makes sense, you know, and Virgil, we can, not only can we rely on him being a tremendous centre-back, one of the best around, well, probably the best around the game right now, but certainly one of the best we've ever had, but, you know, he just stays fit, and he has that knack of staying fit, like, you know, a lot of the players that we've bought, they are quite robust, 
and we could do with another one like that. So I do think we need to buy one, and it'll be next summer. And I've long said this, and I will keep saying it is my choice for that would be Ibrahima Konate from RB Leipzig, who would cost money, but I think he's an absolutely nailed on Jurgen Klopp Liverpool system defender, and I think he would complement us brilliantly. He's young, but he's very very promising, and and I do think because of his age, we could be looking at uh, the the luxury of being able to you know take our time embedding him in, uh, and also maybe that gives you know. Matt Heap and, and Gomez, the opportunity to prove that they can, you know, stay fit and reliable for a full season. But, um, yeah, we'll we'll have to see how that goes, I guess. And what about you, Tadevo? I mean, where do you stand on, like, maybe a potential another centre-back signing, you know? Um, I think the fact that we've brought uh, Nat Phillips back from loan and i think uh steve w has mentioned him on on in the live chat um i think the 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 main reason we touched it on the transfer podcast the main reason he's come back is probably because the injuries to our center backs may be you know it's touch and go on how serious they actually are so we just need that sort of cover just to come in and also it hints to the fact that nothing's going to be happening in january in terms of bringing in a center back um i think we're going to try and fix it internally uh, that could possibly change if, God forbid, a Van Dyke goes down, though, probably, you, you would assume. Um, so I think going into, for the rest of the season, I think we're going to try and resolve it internally or, you know, coach coach it, coach the problem. Long term, I do think this is Lovren's last season at the club. You know, um, he wasn't even meant to be here this season, um, despite the fact that um, a lot of factors, including Roma, uh, messing out, uh, messing us about with the hints of a of, of a transfer, only to then come with a loan bid. But so it, it seems like um, Lovren is on borrow time. If that's the case, I think then the situation is bringing in a replacement for Lovren, who has a bit more um, stability in terms of injuries. So if if like let's say now, if we were to replace Lovren right now um, with a defender that we know isn't as injury prone as Lovren, our defensive, you know, situations, especially centre back, wouldn't be as dire as as they are currently are. I think because both our backup uh, centre back, or three of our four centre backs, and Gomez, Lovren, and Matip, all have injury concerns. So that's where the problem comes in. If we have at least two that we know have good injury records, so Van Dyke and another that have really good injury records, then the other two you know, can come in and out of the team and hopefully their injuries can be managed better. I think also the concern for Liverpool, and I suppose this is um, similar to the concern maybe when when you're looking for backup players, is you don't, one, you don't want to stunt the growth of a Joe Gomez, and two, you've got players like the Vandenbergs, although really young and still coming through, um, you've got young players as well in and around the academy you know, the Nat Phillips as well, if if he's to stay, who you also don't want to cut off their progression. Um, so I think it's a balancing act of, do we go with an experienced backup centre-back in, in the summer or do we go with a young centre-back and just say, whichever of you is the best is going to get the nod, the others of you, unfortunately, either going to be squad players or going to get sold. 
Can I just say on the Nat Phillips thing, uh, the talk in Germany is that um, he could well be going back to Stuttgart in two to three weeks' time. So the indication would be then that we are we've basically just brought him back in order to rotate for the FA Cup game and perhaps you know just to provide cover on the bench that extra cover until yeah until until we get but perhaps it's it's Lovren due back in in a couple of weeks or something like that. So it is it would it does sound as though it's a very very short term. Uh, deal a short-term situation that we brought him back and was it not also just to see how Stuttgart go in terms of the new coach coming in because whether or not he's going to be playing the same style and all of that does that factor into it as well um obviously including the injuries and stuff bringing him back in but then assessing stylistically how he's going to fit into Stuttgart and then maybe if not he's if it's not going to be the football we want him to be playing in terms of development then he could maybe go somewhere else but I, I do agree with you in terms of the short term that he'll probably go back out again especially if our, our centre-backs come back as as expected. Um, I, the indications are I mean it's it is only the coach that's changed they've still got the same um hierarchy above that so I, I would assume that the the coach the new coach that they bring in it will be along a similar style that they want to keep progressing uh, I mean they're third in the, the second Bundesliga so it's not like there's a real um, pressure on them in, in that terms obviously things that they weren't happy about but uh, Phillips hasn't played that many games but but for talk of him going back there in, in two to three weeks then then I guess it is for me that there's not really any, any issue there other than we just really need need to, uh, you know a body to be able to go on the pitch at some point. So I, I'd say it's more about our needs rather than um, any concerns about uh, how Stuttgart are utilising him. Oh, interesting. We'll have to keep our eyes peeled on that one after what you've just told us about Stuttgart. Guys, let's kind of carry on talking about maybe some of the players that maybe come in. Andy, you kind of spoke about Naby Keita. And you thought we kind of looked a little bit different when he came on. There was a bit more kind of, I don't know, he, he maybe held the ball a little bit better. I also noticed on a few occasions, you know, he's quite good in a defensive sense as well. On the left-hand side, talk to me about him. I think a lot of people were surprised that he didn't start, but we did mention on this podcast that the key will be rotation with, again, a, a very, very um, sort of um, injury-prone player, certainly since he's been at Liverpool, and Jurgen Klopp has to man- manage his minutes really well. So, you know, the fact that Jurgen Klopp kind of didn't start him and then kind of brought him on for Adam Lallana, who had a decent game, talk to me about, about that little change. I don't think there's an awful lot of talking points in this game, if I'm absolutely honest. Do you feel the same? Yeah, I do. In all honesty, yeah. it wasn't... It wasn't I, 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 I was sat part. here, I was sat here <laughs> as a host thinking... Oh my God, like it, it was just one of those games. But yeah, uh, Naby Keita, it's really great seeing him do so well. Um, and he's another one that we just want to kind of stay fit and healthy because we know what kind of player he is. So um, uh, what what did you make of his his little cameo role today? Uh, I mean, just firstly, when he started in Les- the game against Leicester, I thought that was an indication that he wouldn't be starting today. But then when we took him off after like 60 minutes, I wondered whether or not that was us kind of keeping, you know, the minutes in the tank for him, for him to then start today's game. So, I, you know, I wasn't quite sure whether or not he would start. Uh, but I guess it does, look, it does make sense in terms of us managing his minutes and building up that time. But I do feel that whenever he's on the pitch and whoever he's on the pitch with, is our, midf- our midfield just seems to have a bit more control over the game and we do run the, bo- run mm. the game a lot better. 
Uh, and again, I mean, today was made some excellent points today, but one, one thing you really mentioned that I thought was absolutely on point was the way that we have controlled games better this season uh, and it, we are improving on it. And, and I think it's especially uh, pertinent when, when Naby Keita is on the pitch in that ability for us to up the tempo when we need to and then bring it down when we need to. And he's so, so good at it. You know, can hold on to the ball, can beat a man, take it, take it beyond somebody, but then, you know, it lays on the pass and he's always available for a pass. And then he works his socks off, he's getting back and he's retrieving, you know, I don't know how many times, I haven't seen the stats, I don't know how many times he won the ball back in, in the fullback areas. You know, he seemed to be winning the ball back, but then yes. using it well. And that's the thing, he uses the ball really, really well. And and I just feel that, I felt that once he came on the pitch, we kept the ball a bit better, uh, you know, and I, what... What I really, really want to see is a fit firing midfield of Fabinho, Vinaldum, and Keita together, just to see how them three play as a trio. Because, yeah, I feel as though that would be a game that we would just run. You know, we would be in charge of, we would dictate it, we would run it, and it would be so difficult because all three of them keep the ball and use the ball so, so well. Uh, and and it was it was a pleasure to see him on the pitch. I mean, I thought Van Alden had a decent game today as well. Yes, he, he did. did. You know, a lot of stuff off the ball. But when he uses it, you know, he protects the ball so so well. You know, he just seems to have. You know, I don't know what is is it uh, Inspector Gadget on his backside. Somehow his butt cheeks seem to kind of expand by about three feet when he shields <laughs> the ball. It's, it's tremendous. And I, I'm, you know, I, I'm enjoying him more and more as he goes on. I think he's been such a great signing, and he really adds things to our game. And and just him, uh, Van Alden and and Cater, I think they do complement each other when they're on the pitch together. And I think when Cater's there, Henderson seems to play better as well. You know, his mm. range of passing seems to improve. You know, he today, ran himself think, into the ground today. To be did, fair, he did. He absolutely did. You know, and. He worked his socks off. It was there was a few times he was frustrating me, and he was you know picking out sort of more you know going backwards with the ball rather than looking and picking out passes that we had you know an opportunity to advance the play. But I think when Kate is on the pitch, he seems to be able to find it easier to advance advance the play. Maybe it was just you know we went from normally having three in that central area rather than two. But yeah, I, I do feel that we played better. Once, once Naby was on the pitch, and uh, it's it's a delight for me personally, you know, to see him settling uh, settling so well now, linking up with Mo Salah really well. Obviously, he links up with Sadio already, uh, and I think people are kind of cutting on on appreciating, you know, what he offers this team. And um, I think I, I do think we've got um, a cracking player. It's absolutely great to see. I mean, to Diva, just you know, speak about from a from a fan perspective, just to have that kind of player in Naby Keita, you know, who's just so wonderful, so tactically smart, you know, somebody that can dribble, somebody that's got um, an eye for a pass, he, you know, he can get you an assist, he's been scoring goals. Um, the only concern that we've always ever had about him was fitness, and Klopp seems to be managing his minutes really well. I love the fact that he is playing 60 minutes here, and he'll get taken off, and then he'll be brought on for the latter half of, um, you know, the sec- you know, the second half of this game. Um, I I agree. I agree with Andy. I thought he made some really, really good sort of um, defensive blocks, helping out um, Andy Robertson, you know, a, a few times. Yeah, I think the the impressive thing is probably more and more the defensive side of him is coming to the forefront, which I suppose for some reason people one of the criticisms for him was um, he's not that good defensively. Maybe in terms of awareness was something that. 
um, could be improved. But if you if you watch the game back again, there were a couple of times where you know you can really see stuff like this that that I like to to see is when when Wolves would have the ball and Nabi and the ball was in and around Nabi Kater's area. A lot of the times he would just turn his head to see who is in and around him and who he should be working. And that, whether or not that's been coached into him or it's something that I haven't noticed in the past, but it's good to see that he's not just aware of the ball itself, but also trying to see where everyone else is on the pitch and how I can cut out, you know, the passing lanes to those players, which is something that's so key for, for a club team. So it, as long as he keeps improving that side of the game, um, in terms of total tackles, he was um, tied for second with um, three three tackles, considering he only played um, from the 66th minute, means he, he was getting stuck in. He was getting involved in the defensive side of things. Mm. And then, as, as you guys have mentioned, from an attacking standpoint, he definitely brings the control. He brings the comfort. And he's one of the players in the team that you can absolutely leather a ball at him and he'll just stop it dead, turn around, uh, you know, stop it on the half turn and he'll start driving. And I love the fact also that there you can see there are times in, in the league where he comes up against players that don't necessarily either know that he has the dribbling ability or underestimate his dribbling ability, and he just skips past them. I think he did it to Madison as well in the last game. He did it a few times today in this game. So he's definitely a player that I think once he gets really in the groove and really becomes acclimatized to the Liverpool team and he's a first-team regular, um, that's only going to elevate us, um, similar to the elevation we saw once Fabinho um, solidified his position. I think Naby Keita is, is, is that next level player, I think, in terms of whether or not this team can can kick up another gear. I think he he's going to be able to kick it up another gear as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a question, actually, um, uh, that was brought forward by Steve Pizza. Like we've said, there's not an awful lot to talk about this game. And it kind of ties up the front three quite nicely. He he kind of, um, Steve Pizza wants to know the front three looked a little off it today, a little flat. I think we can all agree on that one. I thought Bobby for most parts was pretty, you know, anonymous. You know, I love Bobby Firmino, but he wasn't his usual, usual impactful self. I think it could be because maybe the, the system and the, the formation was slightly different. Um, you know, Sadio Mane tried to get a lot of the ball, but sometimes didn't have the right support around him. He was literally everywhere again. But I felt like there was like a kind of a link missing somewhere. Um, I thought Mo Salah started off bright and then just looked tired as the game went on. And I think that could be said about all the players. But Steve Pizza's question is, the front three look flat. How would you go about things for the next game? Now, um, Andy and Tadiva, it gets quite exciting because we we will have hopefully Minamino in the mix. Yeah, I think that that could be exciting. And he's probably coming in as a player that's going to rotate mm. in and around that front three. Um, what that means for the likes of Shakiri, it seems almost... All the time, Shakir is meant to be starting a game. He gets some sort of illness or injury at times. Um, so that's a bit frustrating. But um, I think in terms of the front three's play itself, I did hint to it a, a bit at the beginning of the pod in that definitely they, they, I think they were feeling it in, in their legs. And mm. the first thing to go is that mental side. So once players get fatigued and they get... Um, you know, they start feeling tired, the concentration levels go, the decision-making isn't quite the same. And a lot of the situations that we found ourselves in that game 
maybe statistically they might not look as impressive in terms of they didn't result in shots coming from them. But we were getting in the right positions. So, you know, everyone was getting in the right position, but that final pass was wrong or deciding to take a shot instead of passing. Or the decision-making, yeah. There was, like you said, there was, a, there was a lot of mental fatigue. And I have to agree with you there because sometimes you're like, oh, no, you should have just passed that to Bobby Firmino. That, you know, like when you're watching the game. Obviously, exactly. they, yeah, yeah, they, they don't anticipate it. They don't see it. They kind of just feel the need to kind of take the shot. Andy, talk to me, of course, you know, I think we play on the 2nd of January against Sheffield United. Man City are softening them up um, as we speak. <laughs> 2 0 to Man City, I think the score is. Um, uh, you know, we'll have Minamino as well. I think he's going to be a really interesting player, really exciting player for Klopp. He gave us some heart attacks against, you know, when we played him in the Champions League. There's another player in the mix there in an attacking sense. We've got Origi. I don't know what's happening with Shaq. Apparently, it was another muscle strain. So, you know, we're going to have another quality player there. So, you know, like the front three looked a little flat. I think it was probably down to them being absolutely knackered and tired. So, you know, like, how do we go forward now for the next game? Um, I, I think I might be wrong here, but but I think Minamino is available for the, the FA Cup game. That would be the first game he's available for. Oh, for fuck's sake. The, yeah, something, I think something to do with the registration thing, because we play on the second. I, I could be totally wrong. I think I, you I, might I be right. I think you're right. I've seen a lot of people actually say, ooh, could be available for Everton. Yeah, I, I, I would assume that, you know, if we're going to see him play that that would probably be the first time we, we get to see him in a Liverpool shirt uh, which could be quite exciting given you know the, the way that he played against us and, and the, the qualities he has to offer and obviously there's that unknown quantity as well um, you know it'd be interesting to see how Everton try and prepare themselves for a player that they'll have had little experience of themselves um, but in terms of the next game it, it's a night game that's the thing it, it's you know we're under the floodlights Thursday night against Sheffield United and Divock Origi under the floodlights uh, is it turns into uh, you know Ballon d'Or nominee so yeah um, I, I think it makes sense just to freshen that front three up a little bit mm-hmm. I, I'd be tempted to bring to bring um, to bring Divock in for for uh, for Bobby Firmino, I think you mentioned, you know, just it looked a little bit leggy today. wasn't quite as as fresh and lively as the other two. You know, I think you know it's it's fair to say that Mane and Salah, you know, kind of flitted in and out of the game at times, but did have yes. the moments. And and whereas Bobby kind of went looking for the game and looking to try and get himself involved, but I think he kind of really struggled to do so. And and Sheffield United, yeah, they've just lost two 0 to Manchester City. Um, as we've seen last time we played them, you know they're very well set up. They're very well organised. They've got a very tactically smart and astute manager, and I'm mm. sure they'll they'll restrict the spaces that Bobby Firmino likes to play in. So it, it could be one of them games that's just made for that brute strength, power, speed, and and you know directness that uh, Origi offers and and that ability to you know, to score goals when we really need them. So um, I'd be looking at that change and and perhaps. Um, perhaps we, we might see Naby come back into the team and, and possibly even see Milner start. And I, I could, because I do wonder whether or not um, it, it might be that uh, Robertson maybe gets gets rested for that game because he certainly looked a little bit weary come the second half. But, uh, you know, who knows? We, we It's four days, isn't it, between this one and the next one? So, you know, maybe we'll only see a couple of changes, but we, we do have to be careful. 
though I do think we'll see a much changed team come the FA Cup. So it's 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 all about just getting them points on the board, isn't it? In the in the Premier League, mm-hmm. it seems to be let's just you know we've got this lead, we can't afford to sit back and take anything for granted. We've just got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing until a point where you know that's it. it it's in the bag, but um, there's a yeah. long long way to go yet. There is a long way to go, and this is always a bit of a nervy time being a supporter as well. You know, this is where you know the injuries kick in, the form kind of drops off as well. This is where it kind of, you know, uh, January was a bit of a tricky time for Liverpool last season. So yeah, it will be really interesting to see how Klopp betters himself this 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 you know this year round. Hopefully, you know, we have enough. Luckily, we have a really healthy point advantage, but let's you know keep growing on that, and we also have a game in hand as well. You know, all those things to consider. Guys, any final talking points from this game before we go to Man of the Match? Anything? Because I just feel like it was just a bit of a, yeah, just got to play a game. Not much happened. Yeah, not not for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think, I think we've exhausted everything. Yeah, As for me, time literally dragged watching this game. It felt like it went on for hours. Okay, guys, let's move on to Man of the Match. Who was your man of the match and your reasons being? Tadiva, I'll come to you first. Um, I was tempted to say VAR was my man of the match. But <laughs> um, from a Liverpool perspective, I think probably Joe Gomez. Um, it seems, you know, since he's come back into that back, back four, back five, that's added to the solidity and the clean sheets keep rolling. Um, I thought he had quite a few blocks that were really pivotal. Um, he was willing to drive up into midfield when the need be, very controlling in terms of making sure that he was cutting out their spaces. Defensively, his cover work was good the times they did beat Trent. Um, yeah, I, I just really enjoyed his game today. And it just shows um, that he's he's in really good form and I'm hoping that that continues throughout the season. Absolutely. And Hakeem there um, uh, chiming in in the chat box as well, saying Joe Gomez or Alisson were his shots for man of the match. What about yourself, Andy? Who was your man of the match? It certainly wasn't Anthony Taylor. I'll, I'll just box that one off. Yeah, <laughs> Damn. just one one thing to to mention. Just that you like I mentioned, I said earlier. You know, the amount of little niggly fouls for both teams that he was just not uh, not um, blowing up for, and and it was kind of escalating. As one foul goes, then he's having to let the next one and the next one, and and all this within the space mm. of seconds to the point where players are almost kicking lumps out of each other out of frustration. Uh, yet then he would blow for something completely innocuous. I mean, it was a ridiculous one when Divock was about to break through on the left-hand side and he got charged off the pitch uh, and he just gave nothing. It was just um, a very strange uh, refereeing performance. But um, anyway, uh, to get that one off my chest. Um, Yeah, I've definitely got to go with uh, Joe Gomez. As I mentioned, I thought Gini van Aldem had a good game. But um, but yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely, Joe Gomez. Uh, another really, really good game, and to continue this really good form, as we'd already spoken about, um, pretty much a flawless performance from him, and he was uh, he covered for his uh, his defensive um, colleagues quite well, you know, th- from all angles. So yeah, definitely, Joe Gomez today. It's a hat trick for Joe Gomez because I'm going to go there as well, and Steve W agrees as well. Joe Gomez was his man of the match. I love the fact that you know. When he had a bit of that, um, a bit of a kind of awful kind of start to the season, or you know, he looked a little off, and the people were like saying, "Oh, he's not good enough." I think people were on his back. I I love it when a player that comes back sets the record straight, plays really well, and it's just 
it's just it's just delightful for me personally. I, I absolutely adore Joe Gomez. I think you know he's wonderful, and I thought he had a really really good game today. Really really disciplined. So Joe Gomez wins it for me, guys. Plugs before we close off the show. Tadiva, what are you up to? What pods are coming people's way, and where can people find you on Twitter? Um, Twitter is the, at the Ace of Nave Seven. Um, in terms of podcasts, we recorded the transfer podcast this morning. Um, so that should be out, um, within the next day or so, just talking about the RB Live, um, RB Salzburg players, um, that have been rumored to be moving around, um, a few talks about what Liverpool might do, whether or not they would address the center back situation, um, was also addressed. And then, if, uh, just a, a talk about Minamino, which has, I think, been exhausted for for the majority of December. Um, but I suppose we had to touch on that. And then I've got Rate Don't Hate. Uh, we should be recording that tomorrow. Um, so check that out uh, on the subscriber side of things. Excellent, excellent. And Andy, what about you? It is coming to the end of the month. I'm assuming you're going to do a podcast, but what other things are you working on? And where can people find you on Twitter and articles as well, please? talk away um at andy armchair on twitter if you'd like to give me a follow there uh yeah i've uh, m- myself and guy are, are recording the uh, the latest reds review tomorrow as uh, as we speak uh obviously it's the end of the month it's the end of the year and the end of the decade so there's going to be a few things in there we are going to have um a very special either or game talking about um the best january transfer signings of this past decade anyway that's going to be in the either or game that i'm going to put to guys so uh, that'll be a fun one and also i've uh, as i mentioned i've got an article there i've just put in on curtis jones and a potential uh, loan deal for him for the uh, the remainder of this season where i think could be a good destination for him so uh, please do look out for that one in the uh, coming days Excellent. Do check out both of these guys on Twitter and also check out their work. They are excellent podcasters and great writers as well. So do check out their work. I'm looking forward to both of your podcasts. For my part, um, I do little videos and things on Instagram because it's just easy for me to do. If you're on Instagram, you can follow me there. It's my, my username is the Nina Kauser Show. So do follow me there. Also, I don't know if you know this, but I do like a statement graphic tea. I live in them. I literally do live in them. I have the biggest t-shirt collection ever. So I've kind of gone out and kind of decided, um, kind of created, designed my own little creations. Um, they've been on Twitter, the, the cloppage time one, the C Senior. We've got the unbearables one out, which was just released today. There's also a Scouse Samurai one. If you want to pick up these t-shirts, they're really cool. They fit like a breeze. I think they're really trendy. I do. I wear them. You can check out our collection and it's slowly going to get bigger on AITs.co.uk. That's where you'll find our collection. And if you, you know, any feedback, any ideas, give us a shout. Let's talk. But thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. A massive thank you for Hossaway for calling in. A huge thank you to these guys for covering that game. It wasn't really eventful, but VAR certainly create some drama I suppose and a massive thank you to all our subscribers who joined us live and all of them that kind of talked to us in the chat box as well really appreciate it I hope you all have an awesome new year I hope it's filled with everything positive the Reds are certainly doing their bit to keep you happy but I just hope you all have a blessed one till next time take care up the Reds and bring on 2020
Podcast Network.